Go. Come on, Pastor Lydia. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hot. <laughs> Hallelujah. I've learned over the course of my lifetime that God has a lot of interesting people in the kingdom. Praise the Lord. He, he has a little bit of everything. Hallelujah. And it's because he, he, he likes to, to use the diverse. Amen. The diverse and the different. Amen. To, to go to places where uh, others can't go. Amen. Man, this is, this is a very blessed ministry. Amen. And I just, um, I just see you all growing this place. You're not going to be here much longer. You, that's your first prophetic word for tonight. Amen. Amen. Well, you can stand on it. Amen. Yes. So you won't be here very long. Praise the Lord. And then the Lord will bring... Uh, stable people, consistent, you know, um, unshakable and unmovable. Um, whenever God is, is building something, he always brings in a group of what I call the core group, which becomes the heart of the ministry, and then he builds around that. So if you're here and you're committed, then you are the heart of this ministry. Um, keep that in mind. As people come in, they will look to you. Amen? To know what God is about, but also to know what your vision and mission are about as well as this local church. Amen? And that's very important. It's a big responsibility God lays on our shoulders. Amen? Let's pray. Amen? Heavenly Father, we just thank you, O Lord, for your opportunity, O Lord, to, to be here today, O God, and just to share your word, O God, with your children, Father God. We thank you for those that have come, O oh Lord, from a far way, Father God, just to be here, Father God. And we just thank you. And we pray, Father God, right now, O oh God, that you would open up our ears, O oh Lord, and that you would unstuff our ears, that you hold, Father God, every thought captive, O oh God, that is not a thought of the Lord. Father God, and we pray, O oh God, that you speak into our hearts today, O oh Lord. But I pray, O oh Lord, that you plant, O oh God, your word deep into our hearts, O oh Lord, so that nothing, O oh God, would come by, O oh God, and rip it out or tear it out of our hearts, O oh Lord. And we pray for the evidence, O oh God. We pray for the evidence of the word having taken root, O oh God, deeply inside of us. For it is the evidence that produces fruit, and it is the fruit that God is looking for. So we pray, O oh God, that tonight, O oh Lord, that you would plant that in us, O oh Lord, in a way that it can never be taken. Lord, I pray that you would decrease me so that you would increase tonight, O oh Lord. And that you would speak into each one of our lives, O oh Lord. Have your mighty way, O oh God. Lord, we receive everything you have to give us today. Father God, we receive love. We receive instruction. We receive chastisement because the word of the Lord tells us, oh God, that the child that you love, you chastise. So love us so much, oh God, that you can chastise us tonight. We pray this in the holy and heavenly name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. I am so happy to be here, amen, and I bring greetings, I have to bring greetings, amen, and big hugs, amen, from, from Pastor Chris, amen, and from Restoring Life Church. Uh, they were very excited that I was coming here, amen. They loved Pastor Miles, they really did, and uh, they enjoyed you so much. They're still talking about it, amen. Um, 
And just the, the way God just used you in such a, an unusual way, they really needed to see that. Amen. They needed to experience that. And God is doing some things. Amen. Based on the words you gave already. So I always look for the evidence of the word of God coming to pass. Amen. Amen. That's what the Bible tells us. And that's what we should look for. I'm going to take off my glasses. I can't read with them. Um, and I also take them off for another reason, but I'll share that some other time. Amen. Um, I really struggled, amen, with this sermon, amen, uh, tonight. And uh, because the, the Lord kind of gave me this sermon more than two weeks ago um, when we, we were in church, actually, on Sunday morning. And I said, Lord, are you sure you want? That's uh, an unusual title. But the title of my sermon today is Shut Up and Die Already. So maybe you liked me a few minutes ago. I guarantee by the end of this sermon, you might not like me that much anymore. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Because God has uh, really put a word together that it's quite um, tough, but also filled with love and direction. Amen. I, I don't know about you, but God has always been kind of tough with me. Amen. To those that hear from God and speak on behalf of his voice, he always treats us a little bit more harsher. Um, I don't know about you, but that's my story. Glory to God. And and I know that he always expects more, amen? And I think that what God is trying to do is, if this church is going to grow, then the foundation has to be really solid. And then in each of us also, we have to be solid as well, right? Because we're one body in Christ, amen? And we're only as strong as the next person next to us. So we have to understand that we all have to be on board at the same time. And we all have to be going in the same direction at the same time. We're still individuals, right? We have different tastes and likes and things like that. You're not going to like what I like, amen? I like coconut pie. No one's, you know, not that many people are going to like coconut pie. Praise the Lord. And that's fine. Amen. But I'm talking about the spiritual things of God, that we have to be going in the same direction, amen? It's important for a church, for every member, especially during this time, during this, this birthing time in this house, Amen. That that birth go forth, amen, without a hitch. Because what we don't want is that we don't want to miscarry. And we don't want to abort. Amen. Whether spontaneous or whether provoked by something. Right? We don't want to abort God's mission. Amen. It's really important right now. Uh, I've learned that over the course of, of the three plus years that we've been together, that God had continuously laid on my husband's heart and mind to really build a strong foundation. Amen. Because the stronger the foundation, amen, the greater the structure you can build on it. Amen. A weak foundation will not be able to sustain a ministry. Amen. Amen. So, amen. I have a little intro. I like to do intros sometimes. Sometimes I don't. Praise the Lord. But um, have you ever tried to kill something? The, the message today is, you know, shut up and die already. Amen. So have you ever tried to kill something and it just would not die? You know, my thought of weeds. I can't stand weeds. Amen. Um, weeds fall into this category of something that is really hard to kill. Glory to God. Amen. They grow back uncontrollably, right, if you leave them unattended. Weeds have this amazing capacity to disguise themselves, don't they? 
And some of them come forth with budding flowers. Others come with detectable and detachable stems, which drives me crazy. You pull it out and then it detaches itself and the rest is still in the ground. Obviously, I have spent some time thinking about this, right? <laughs> and experiencing it, too, in my, in, around my house. Praise the Lord. I finally gave up and hired a service to come and do it for me because I would be so mad at the weeds by the time I was done. Mad at those weeds. Praise the Lord. And sometimes the weeds hide in between the good plants. Amen? They hide in between the healthy plants. And what they do is they're very sinister. Amen? Because what they do is they, they come between the plants, but then they bury down deep and they begin to infiltrate the root of that healthy plant. And what they do is they, they begin to extrapolate the nutrients from that plant. And you'll see the plant start weakening and it will lose its color. And then eventually it loses its strength until eventually it kills the plant. I'm here to talk about the things that might be killing your plants today. Weeds are really hard to kill and they require constant attention just to keep them from damaging good plants around them. Constant attention. Such is the situation in our own lives. If we let our flesh and desires run amok in us, then all that God has planted in us will die. How many, how many, well, I know a lot of people that greatly anointed, called, no question about it, amen, powerfully, prophetic, laying hands on the sick, and the sick would recover, amen, and, and when I look at them now, they're like not even what they used to be. Did God change? No, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, the word says. He changes not, so it's not God. It's they allowed something in their lives. They allowed some type of weed that was very insidious. And perhaps the weed introduced itself into their lives and it looked like a flower. Listen, listen, I tried, I tried, I, listen, I, I prayed to the Lord for a different message, believe me. I said, Lord, come on, I don't even know them. Can't you give me something softer? Give me a softer message. Or the Lord said, no, this is it. So we're going with it. Amen. Come with me. Hallelujah. Don't be afraid. I'm going in with you too. Hallelujah. Amen. So let's talk about the first thing. In Galatians 2.20, if you have your Bibles or whatever electrical device, I have a lot of scriptures. Follow me along. I like to do the word. I like to come from the word so that you can't say she said. You can go home and say God said and the Bible said, but you can't go home and say she said. Glory to God. Amen. Galatians 2.20, it says, But I have been sacrificed and crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Amen. So what do we get from that? just that one scripture? Amen. We get, first of all, that God, if God lives in me, right? That's the question. If God lives in me, then when we accept Christ, we must accept that we have to give something up. Ain't that interesting, right? God gave up his son for you, right? He took our place on the cross of Calvary 
And he became a sacrifice for me and you, right? The, the most amazing sacrifice ever. God gave his most precious, precious treasure. It would be like you asking me for one of my children. Well, first of all, mama, mama ain't going to do that. But I'm just saying as an example, praise the Lord. And especially my children, my children came by way of miracles, two miracles. I should have not, never had children. I couldn't have children. I had four, four miscarriages. And the last miscarriage I had, I was six months pregnant. I can't, you don't understand what that's like until you've gone through that. To have a miscarriage at six months is the most horrendous thing because you literally go into labor. Your body just goes into labor as if you're having this baby. But then the baby doesn't come. It's born dead. So praise the Lord. Amen. And then the brilliant doctor said, um, where, did you, where did it come out? And, and he tells my husband, well, why don't you just stick your hand in there and pick it up? He says, I'm not going to pick up. I'm not doing that. Praise the Lord. Why would you tell a father to do that? that that's something that always stayed with me. Amen. So when we accept Christ, there is something that we have to give up. The same way that in order for God to accept you back into his kingdom, in order for him to accept you back into his family, in order for you to become his child again, he had to give something up for you. So you are required to give something up for him. Accepting the Lord means that we have to be willing to die and be crucified with him. See, we're all about being with Christ, but when the crucifixion part comes, that's when some of us run for the hills, glory to God. That's a hard place to be in, amen. I found myself in a position 13 years ago, 14 years ago to the day, um, where God took us out of our church. Everything was going right in our lives. I mean everything. Sweet job, Amen. Hey, man, I was bringing in $90,000, $90,000 a year. My husband, I'm not even going to tell you because it's embarrassing. Praise the Lord. And we were in a great church that we were happy and growing. Amen. The kids were doing fine. We were very involved in ministry. I mean, everything, everything was going right. I should have known. Glory to God. Because all of a sudden, the Lord said, I'm taking you out of here. And there were certain certain sacrifices that I had to make. The first thing he said to me a year in advance before he moved us, hallelujah, was, I'm going to take you out of your job. Now, you have to understand that I was doing exactly what God had called me to do since I was nine years old. I, I, was, I began as a teacher, and by this point in my life, I was a principal in Cambridge. And so I was doing what I loved, right? I was molding minds. I was changing them. Hallelujah. The Lord took me out of the classroom. He says, I'm going to cause you not to just change 30 minds or 32 minds. When someone said 20 kids, that's nothing. I had 35 kids at one point in one classroom. <laughs> wall to wall. Wall to wall. Amen. Hallelujah. That if you held out your hands, you almost touched the other side of the classroom. And in those conditions, God was being glorified. But when he took me to the next level I just assumed okay so I'm going to this then I'm going to this now I'm the principal but then what happens is you know what happens to us sometimes that we don't see the plan of God we just don't see it and we think that when he blesses us and starts taking us someplace we start to think that it's about us that's a dangerous thought to have 
The minute we start thinking it's about us and the minute we forget that we said, Lord, whatever your will is for my life, do it. And we forget we make that statement. God has to come along and remind us of the statement we must make. God is, God is interesting. So I had to give something up. Amen. So when I was going through this turmoil, he was taking me and transitioning me out of my job. Hallelujah. Then the Lord comes by and says, your husband's going to lose his job too. Now, okay. Now, first of all, me losing my job was one thing. Okay. We still had one income. But when the Lord said he's going to lose his job, now what? Two kids, a mortgage, car payment, car payments. Hallelujah. What do you do now? But God is good. So he had to crucify something. And I remember during the last few months of my employment there, I had a sister. Uh, she was a parent of three children in my school. She had three girls. And she walked into my office and, you know, this parent and I had a good relationship. You know, she was a believer, so it was easy to talk to her. You know, it was easy to talk to her. You know, I would encourage her. She would encourage me. But she walked into my office that day, and I'll never forget. Um, I made time for her. I said, sure, come in. And she sat down, and she says, well, I'm here. She said, I, I, I brought you a book. And she gives me this book on d allowing God to work in your ministry. And um, I said, oh, thank you for the gift. She said, no, but there's something else. And she had written a note. And in there, she had written a $50 check. Now, I knew this family intimately. $50 was a lot for this mother. I was, I said, absolutely not. I'm not taking this. I gave it right back to her. She said, absolutely not. The Lord told me to plant a seed. The Lord said, you're leaving him, but you're living into ministry, my dear. You just don't get it. She said, this, you're not going to rob me from my blessing. This is seed money. I mean, she got really fussy with me, and I just, okay, fine, fine, fine. Listen, I kept that check in there I don't know how long because I couldn't bring myself to cash it. Praise the Lord. Until we were leaving, and then I needed to cash it, you know, glory. <laughs> You don't want to cash it now, but you will. Hallelujah. And yes, I did. Hallelujah. But God worked it all out. Listen, even before we left, God had already blessed my husband with a job. The Lord said to my husband, apply for a job where there is no work. Listen, listen, it doesn't have to make sense to you. That's the problem with us. That we want it to make sense to us. And the problem is that God is a deep God. His understanding is not our understanding. The problem is that sometimes we want to diminish him to our human level and human understanding and human ability, but he's not. And we forget that. We really do. And we want to ascribe the same personality traits that we see in each other. We want to give those to God. Don't give God anything he doesn't need. Ooh, Lord, what are you doing? Hallelujah. Calm down, Jesus. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. So the Lord, you know, she says to me, she says, to, I'll never forget this. She said, you know, I know you don't want to go. And I know I, I see, I see God literally grabbing you by your hair. And he is pulling you out of Massachusetts by your hair 
caveman style. And that's how he had to do it. And then she said this. She said, hurry up and die. That was the word. She said, hurry up and die. She said, because I see you on the cross, but this is you. You pulling your arms off the cross. You got the holes and everything. And then the Lord has to come back and put more nails. That's why it's hurting you so much. She says, hurry up and die. The faster you die, the better off you'll be. I didn't get it. I was still fussing with God. Because, you know, I'm a little stubborn. You know what I'm saying? What Latina woman isn't? Hallelujah. You find one. Find one and introduce one to me. Hallelujah. So when she said that to me, it really bothered and disturbed my spirit. Because I said, Lord, why would you want to kill me this way? I've dedicated myself for years to you. And you know what he said to me? He said, you've always worked in ministry. I've seen everything that you've done. I have not ignored one thing that you've done for the kingdom. He said, but I'm turning the tables. You've always worked part-time for me. He said, he went, I'm turning like this. She just, I'm turning the table. Listen, I felt it going, <clears throat> my table was rusty. Glory to God. He had rusted over. I had gotten comfortable. Mm. Whenever you get too comfortable, be careful. God is about to come and shake it up a little bit. Hallelujah. I'll pray for you. Glory to God. So she said, I'm going to turn the tables and you're going to be full-time ministry. And maybe, maybe, I'm still, listen, I'm still hanging on the maybe. He said, maybe I'll let you do some of what you like to do, which is educate kids. Amen. That's my thing. I love it. Glory to God. Give me the bad ones. I said, give me the bad ones, the rough ones, the ones that are nasty, the ones that don't want to listen. Hallelujah. God has given me anointing to get them. Ooh, they turn into lambs. Glory to God. They come in like lions, and I send them home like lambs to their parents. I've had parents say to me, I don't know what you're doing in this room, but I love it. <laughs> Keep doing it. Hallelujah. Keep doing it. Hallelujah. They didn't know what I was doing, but I knew what it was. It was the anointing, right? Because when God calls you for something, the spirit of the Lord rests upon you, and I dare anything, anything to come against that, even in a public setting. Amen. So I haven't met a child that I didn't break down for Jesus. Glory to God. Still haven't met one. Hallelujah. Little or big. Glory to God. Yeah, I'm talking about you, young people. Praise the Lord. So when, when we die, amen, when we die, the problem is that dying to oneself is painful. It's a painful process. Listen, I'm here to tell you, you're going to experience some pain. Don't believe people when they say, I never like when people used to do when I was, I, I grew up in old-fashioned gospel. Okay? And people say, come to the Lord. He loves you. Oh, the joy of the Lord. And all this stuff. And I'm saying, y'all don't know. These are roses with thorns. Hallelujah. <laughs> yes, the Lord loves you, but you're going to be pricked. You're going to have to shed a little blood. You understand? You're going to shed a little blood. Glory to God. 
Amen. So dying to the self, this is the wonderful thing. Dying to the self creates room for Christ. Because Christ honors death and resurrection. He is still a God of death and resurrection. Isn't that what he's about? You come in dead to the Lord and he resurrects you. All the time he's about death and resurrection. He's about taking what is dead and bringing it back to life. But when he kills you, it's only because he's going to raise you up even more powerful. Listen, his power, amen, yes, was on the cross. The forgiveness of our sin, amen. But everything was broken when the resurrection came. Because that's when death no longer had a sting over you or me. That's when power was exercised. Glory to God. Amen. Amen. I love, I, I can't watch those Passion of Christ movies because I'm just through the whole thing. Okay. I just can't. Praise the Lord because it just hurts me too much. I identify too much with that pain. And that's been my whole life since I was a child. I could not watch them because I identify too much with his pain. Amen. And so when, when we die to Christ, we make room for Christ. I know that doesn't make sense to you, but it does make sense to the Lord. When we die to Christ, we make more room for him to live in. Listen, it's not enough to have a little bit of Jesus. Listen, I like that song, but it ain't truthful. It's not enough to have a little bit of Jesus. I just need a little bit of Jesus. No, you don't. You need a lot of Jesus. Whole lot. So every time we die to something different in our lives, every time God kills another thing in our life, guess what? You just made more room for Jesus. Listen, this state is known for bumper stickers. Somebody created one. Make Make room for Jesus. Come on now. So when we die to ourselves, when we die to ourselves, not only do we usher in and make more room for Christ, amen, but we also develop more room for faith dying the process of dying requires faith when christ went to the cross let me tell you something he went to the cross he went on that cross by faith he was relying on the faith of the father saying okay go die for them amen and then they will come to me it was by faith It was by faith that he said, I go, but I go and I leave you and I go to prepare a place that where I am, you may be also. That's a faith statement. He is making a statement of faith saying that I know, I know that one day these people, all these people will acknowledge the the, the service that I've given to them, the sacrifice I've made, and they will accept me and follow me. That's by faith. That's like you saying, okay, I'm going to buy everything for a brand new house. Every stick of furniture, every picture, everything. But you haven't even bought the land. Christ bought all the furniture. Before you even gave him your heart to make room for him. Oh, hallelujah. 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 Listen. This moment, I just don't feel worthy, amen, of that, of him to do that for us, amen? 
So Jesus gave himself according to 2 Corinthians 5.14. It says, for the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. To be a follower of Christ means you are willing to die. Amen? You are willing to die. And there are some Christian brothers and sisters that are actually dying. Amen. For real. Amen. They're the ones that are out there in, you know, in these places where the gospel is not free to be preached. We are here free. No one's bothering us. I don't see anyone showing up here. The state police coming in to drag us out of here. Amen. But yet you can go to other countries in China where pastors are dragged out of their churches, dragged out of where they are in front of their congregants and disappear for two or three weeks while they're being interrogated and beaten. And then they release them. And guess what? The church is still moving forward. It's only here in the United States that the church only serves a pastor but forgets to serve God. If pastor ain't here, I can't make it to church. That's probably why some of them didn't come because they thought you were still traveling. Mm. <laughs> Facebook is of the devil right now. Hallelujah. <laughs> right now. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Because some people serve the pastor. So if pastor ain't doing right, ooh, uh, oh, pastor's sick. I, oh, I think I got a cold too. No, you don't. No, you don't. We have to, what we, what we have to do in order for God to do what he wants to do here in the United States, I really believe that he is in the process of taking over. And I'm going to tell you why. Whenever you see the devil really active and all, you know, like a peacock, all riled up with the chest puffed up, I, I know it's only a matter of time. Where God comes and puts a pin in it. So enjoy a few moments of, of fame, devil. Because the Lord is coming. You just can't hear him. You can't hear him. No, you, sh you, you shouldn't hear him. Those who don't serve the Lord can't hear when God is coming. They can't see him and they can't hear him. See, that's why the Bible tells us like a thief in the night. That verse used to bother me when I was a little thief in the night. But, Lord, you're not a thief. How you? How you? Thou shalt not steal. I said, that's what you said in Exodus 20. Thou shalt not steal. You said to Moses, tell the people. You know what the Lord said to me? It's not stealing because it's already mine. Whoa, yay. That's why he said, I'm coming like a thief in the night. It's already mine. So I'm going to take you away. I'm going to take you away. I'm going to take you away because you're already mine anyway. See, see, I don't know about you, but I'm very inquisitive. Always have been. And so when I ask the Lord these questions, I've learned to be careful. Because when I ask him questions, he actually answers them. And sometimes he shows me the answer. See, that doesn't happen to anybody here. But it happens to me all the time. Praise the Lord. So I've learned to be very careful about the questions I ask. So when we die to self, we also have to die to the flesh. We all know Galatians 5. Hallelujah. Some of us skip it over. We don't want to read it. We go down to the good part. For the fruits of the Spirit. 
But then when we come to patience, oh, let me skip over patience. Because I'm just not good in that department. You know, I was praying about this. And sometimes the Lord has me interceding for the church of God in general. Sometimes it just invades my prayer time. And he says, you know, forget what you were going to pray for. I need you to pray for this. And so I started praying for the universal church of God, those who love the Lord and are following God. And I said, Lord, what, what's the issue? Because every time he does that, it's a, he's about to show me something. And he showed me a tree. And it had fruit. And so, but when I looked at the tree and it had fruit, some fruit was really big. And it was like pulling the branch down. But then other fruits were like small. They, they almost were underdeveloped. And I said, I don't get it. I said, Lord, what is this? And he said, that's the fruit of the spirit. See, some people got love like the size of a watermelon. But they have no patience. Teeny tiny. The Lord says, there's no balance. Lord said, my people have to be balanced. You can't be all about love. You know what I'm saying? If you already got love down, it's time to move to the next fruit. If you got love down, praise the Lord, hallelujah. Let's move to the next fruit, please. Can we just move along? Let's move to the one you don't have down pack. Let's move to self-control. Self-control is the size of a pea. Love the size of a watermelon on the same tree. See, and the problem with that is that the Bible says, by your fruits, I shall know you. But if God needs a magnifying glass to find your self-control, come on, young people. <laughs> I'm so glad I'm not a young person anymore. You have no idea. I am 55 years old and proud of it. Because, you know, some of the stuff that used to plague me don't plague me no more. I'm so grateful. I got new plagues. Hallelujah. <laughs> Sorry to bust your bubble. You move. The stuff used to bother you before doesn't bother you. All of a sudden, new stuff is bothering you. Hmm. Like, Lord, I need to see the fruition of what you said. And that thought haunts you. It haunts me. Praise the Lord. I'm like, Lord, I want to be in the right place. I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss it. Galatians 5.24 says, Now those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Galatians 2.20 says, If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as these? In other words, Paul is saying, listen, if you confess and profess that you died with Christ, amen, then the principles of the world, the elementary principles of the world should be dying in you too. So what Paul was saying, you know, I'm seeing some of y'all Corinthians. He wasn't talking to none of you. He's talking to the church of the Corinthians. I've noticed that some of you who have professed that Christ died for you and you've accepted him, I still see you know, elementary principles of the world hanging around you. Because sin is, sin clings, doesn't it? The Bible says that sin is crouching at your door. 
waiting for a crack in the door to get in. And I believe it's in the book of Isaiah. It says that sin clings to us. It's difficult to get it off. It's like gum. Not on a shoe, on clothes. You ever got gum on clothes? I have. It is terrible to get out. Ice. I have found ice seems to be the best thing that works. But even then, you got to be careful how you remove it. Because it damages the garment. That's the problem with sin. It clings to you. And every time you try to remove a different sin, it's going to leave damage in your garment. Glory to God. Yeah, the presence of the Lord is here. Really powerful. Amen. So we have to crucify the flesh along with all the desires and passions. This world is constantly getting, trying to get us to focus, amen, on the things that we want, on the desires. Isn't that the world? Yes. The, the world panders to the desires of man's flesh. And when I say men, I mean women too. So, you know, they throw the luxuries at us, the indulgences, the decadence, right? Are thrown in our faces every day. All those commercials, now forget about it. With the holiday season coming, every car commercial under the sun will be televised. And it seems like the, the world is always telling us, no, you need more of this. You need more. Don't you need more? You don't have enough. Don't you want more? And it's constant and constant. And that barrage sometimes gets to us. And we actually start to think, well, maybe I do need more. And it creates in us a sense of that we can no longer be, be content. But the Bible tells us that I have to be content in whatever situation I'm in. Glory to God. Hmm. I grew up in a very poor working class family. I wouldn't even call it working class because, I mean, you know, there were times where there was nothing in the house to eat. See, some of you think that, that their children are only hungry in India. There are children hungry down the street. And I would go to school with whatever my mother could give me that day. And sometimes it was some tea with a little milk, Right? or a cup of coffee with milk, and that's how I went to school in the morning. I never told a teacher, I never told anyone. And, um, and that's hard for a kid. And, but I also remember, you know, my father got laid off, he worked for the city, when the city went through a horrible, horrible recession in New York, and he lost his job with the city, and he really was struggling to try and work. He didn't want my mother working, you know, they had five kids, I mean, who's gonna, who's gonna raise them? Amen. And he didn't want them raised by strangers. And so he says, no, I'd rather you not work. And I remember as a child telling my mother, mom, please go back to work. Because I knew things were better when she worked. And even though I wanted her with me, I also knew that it was better if she went. You understand what I'm saying? A child should never have to make that decision is what I'm saying. That's what I'm trying to say. Amen. And so, amen. So, but I also saw... Amen. God's provision during that time. I remember one time that we had nothing to eat. I was starving, but I wouldn't tell my mother I was starving. And, but my younger brother and sister were like nagging her. Oh, I'm hungry. I'm hungry. Ugh. You know, 
They just couldn't keep their mouths shut. Amen. And I would tell them, don't say that to mom. You know, because I knew it was, her heart was breaking. Amen. And so she said to us, let's just, let's just go into the room to pray. Thank the Lord for a praying mother. Hmm. So she took us all in the room to pray. And she said, we need to pray. Because God says he will provide. He will supply for our needs according to his riches and glory. I said, okay. So I brought all the other little rascals in. Hallelujah. They really were. And you have no idea. And hallelujah. I have three younger siblings. You have no idea. And they were like the rugrats. Praise the Lord. And yes, yes. And so they, 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 we brought them all into the bedroom and we started to pray. And of course, they were hungry and they were peeking. They weren't really praying. But me and my mother were really praying. And I remember that we didn't even finish the prayer. I mean, literally, we had been praying for about half an hour at most when we got a knock at the door. And my mother said, I'm going to get up, but that's not an excuse for you guys to get up for prayer. But, you know, that's like telling them, get up. As soon as she walked in, they, they all got up, and we went to see and peek who it was. Well, let me tell you what happened. When we were praying, the Holy Spirit revealed to our pastor our situation. We hadn't told anybody. He was praying in his house and the Lord said, get up. He said, I need you to go to the supermarket. You know what he told the Lord? We just went to the supermarket yesterday. Isn't that what we do? Well, I just got my hair done yesterday, Lord. Why I got to go back? Because the Lord wants you to talk to somebody there. Just go. I learned that the hard way. Hallelujah. So the pastor said, we just went grocery shopping yesterday. The Lord said, this is not about you, Ernest. Then he was like, okay. Got up, went to the supermarket. He said, what am I buying for? Who am I buying for? The Lord said, I'll tell you when you're done. But he said, okay, Holy Spirit, you're going to have to tell me because I don't know who I'm buying for. I don't know what they like. I don't know how many people there are in the family. He had no idea it was one of his own. When a man and a woman of God are dedicated to God, God will reveal to you the need. He will reveal the need to you. And so he's walking up and down the supermarket, picking stuff that he never eats and stuff. He's like, okay, filled up the, filled up the carriage. Amen. And when my mother opened the door, that's who it was. He said, Sister Angelina, the Lord told me to go shopping. I didn't know it was you. Why didn't you say something? She said, I didn't have to. <laughs> oh, dip. <laughs> Duh, the pastor got it. I didn't have to because the Lord went for me. You don't have to tell anybody what your need is. The Lord says that even before we come before him with a request, he already knows the need. But the act of coming to him with the request is an act of faith. Where we are acknowledging that only he can provide and only he has the answer. That's why he says, come, knock. Knock at the door. Amen. He wants to see you exercise something. You've got to give something up, right? Amen. So we got a whole, whole, whole baggage, a bunch of bags of grocery. I've never seen my brothers and sisters more happy to see pudding and jello. Glory to God. It's true. They were very delighted. I said, you silly kids, be grateful that we got meat. 
Rice and potatoes. Who cares about the pudding? Glory to God. They wanted pudding. Praise the Lord. So people line up sometimes for days to get the, the latest phone. Right? Because they just have to have the latest gadget. You know, we live in a, in a culture and a society that people are constantly seeking, amen, to fill their lives with things that bring them joy, that try to bring them satisfaction. The only problem is that those things are short-lived. So after you get it, the whole thing wears off. So then it's, okay, what's the next thing? Where's the new tablet coming out? Because they have to satisfy the thing. What they're trying to do is they're trying to fill a space, a room that only God can occupy. It doesn't matter how many things we buy. It doesn't matter. If we don't have Jesus, we don't have anything. We don't have Jesus, we don't have anything. Amen. So the flesh is always seeking these pleasures and desires, right? And the pleasures, these pleasures, if they're not monitored, they're like the weeds. These pleasures can lead us to sin. And can cause us, amen, to take up something that we shouldn't have taken up in the first place. That's why, listen, does God not want us to prosper? Absolutely. He does. If you go to the, listen, I always take people back to the beginning. Because everything started in Genesis. If you go back to Genesis, right, when he puts Adam and Eve in the garden, this is interesting. The Lord brought this to my attention just the other day, and I said, you got to be kidding. I've been reading Genesis for how many years? Come on now. Amen? I had trouble reading when I was a little girl, believe it or not. I was smart and everything, but I had trouble reading with comprehension. And my mother went to that conference, and I remember when we left, I thought she was going to be disappointed in me. And all she said was this, we're going to start praying about this. I was like, okay. I thought I was going to get a spanking, but I didn't. Praise the Lord. And um, she said, no, we're going to pray about this. And what she said to me is, she said to me, do you want to become an excellent reader? I said, of course. I don't want to have, I don't want to struggle with this. She said, read the Bible. Well, first of all, I could, I was having trouble reading, see Dick Jane run. How am I, and listen, there were no other Bibles in my house but King James, Okay. So thou's and these and shout and woof and I was like, are you kidding me? I'm having trouble reading the word danger. But she was right. So I started reading my Bible every day. I was nine years old. started reading my Bible every day, every day. In less than six months, when the test came along, I scored on the sixth grade level. My teacher was like, what did you do? She was looking all around. What did you do? Did your mother take you to a special learning place? Did she take you to a t- Did she get you a tutor? I said, tutor, we ain't got no money. What are you talking about? You must have me confused with somebody else. I said, no. I said, I read my Bible. And she just looked at me. She was a Jewish teacher. She looked at me. You read the Bible? I said, I read the Bible. She's like, okay, whatever works. But from that moment forward, I never had that deficit. See, when we have a deficit, we need to take it to the Lord. Problem is, when we have a deficit, we're taking it to everybody else. Everybody, we call everybody before we call on Jesus. The first call you need to make is on your knees to the Lord. Amen. Because look, as, as wonderful as your pastor is, as kind as he is, he cannot give you what you need. Listen to what I'm saying. 
Listen to what I'm saying. He's here to guide, right? Like a good shepherd. But he can't give you everything you need. You've got to do part of your job. His job is to preach the word, give it to you straight. Amen? Watch over your spiritual life. If he sees you, he needs to approach you, right? I see something funny in you. Hallelujah. Thank God. And listen, thank God that he has, that he has sight, right? That he has sight, right? That he can see into people's lives. Amen. Uh, every pastor should be able to have sight. Amen. They should be able to see. Unfortunately, amen, there are some pastors that are losing their sight because they're compromising. Whenever you see a pastor losing his spiritual vision, it's because he's compromising somewhere in his life. Okay, let me stop. Hallelujah. Don't go there, Lydia. Hallelujah. The flesh is always seeking these, these pleasures. And the problem is, uh, Galatians 3.5 says, Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. Isn't that interesting? Everything goes back to idolatry. See how that works? Because we make these things idols. If we're greedy and all we're thinking about is money, then we've made money our, our, our idol. See, because the Bible says it's the love of money that's the root of evil. He never said you couldn't have money. Because in the book of Genesis, it said he put Adam and Eve in the garden. And then he said to them, he created the whole garden. But then he says something interesting that I noticed recently. He says, now you must tend to it. That blew me away. Oh, my goodness. That blew me away. I said, wait a minute. How come I didn't see these three little words before? But what the Lord was saying to me, listen, I gave you everything you needed to be successful. I gave you everything you need to prosper, to live, to, to function, to thrive. But now you have to take care of it. He said, now you till it. Mm-hmm. Listen, you got to work it. You got to work your land. You got to work where God puts you. You got to develop where God puts you. Amen. Problem is, we don't want to develop where God put us. We want to go outside. We're going to somebody else's garden. Listen, if you can't take care of your garden, you have no business taking care of somebody else's. Glory to God. Move it along. Everything, everything that becomes more important in our lives than God becomes an idol. Everything. I don't care what it is. It doesn't matter. Could be something as harmless as the television. My my father went through a phase where he said, "No more TV in the house." I was like, "Oh no!" For a whole year, we didn't we couldn't watch TV. I didn't know what was going on. I really didn't. I didn't know what shows were playing. I didn't know anything for a whole year. But you know what happened in that year? My father began to cause us to pray every night together as a family. Seven o'clock every night. Every night. Seven o'clock, we pray for an hour together. Sometimes we extended it, depending on what was going on and how the Lord led us and led my father. But every night, every night. You know what happened in that year? There was breakthrough in our family in that one year. My father knew what he was doing. Because what he said is that this has become an idol to you. He said to his children, it's become an idol, cannot be an idol. If I see you abusing it, I'm going to take it away because there's only one God. When he got older, I reminded him of that. He started to chuckle. <laughs> like, yeah, kick out of it. <laughs> Glory to God. So, 
you will gravitate to what you truly love. What you truly love is what will pull you, right? The things that really tug at your heart is what will pull you in that direction. So if immorality is an issue in your life, that's going to be the thing that always pulls you, right? Like a dog on a leash. It's always going to pull you because that's the thing. That's the area of your life where you need God to till that thing, where you need to have him pull those weeds out because you've confused them for real plants. The problem is that when we allow this to continue, right, we allow this to continue. The Bible tells us in Romans 3.13, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. That's a statement of fact and declaration by God. It doesn't say you may die. It says you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, then you will live. I know it makes no sense. If we kill the deeds of the body and the desires of the body and the lusts of the flesh, if we kill those things and cause them to constantly be subjected to the authority of God, then we will live. He will cause us to live. This is where that verse says, I want you to have life and have it more abundantly. But first you have to die to this. Okay? This flesh is corruptible. It's corruptible, but God's spirit is incorruptible. So if we live by the spirit, he will cause us one day to become incorruptible. Right? See, okay. God, listen, God has a plan. He always has a plan. Always. His plan is that he's leading us where? To a state of incorruptibility. That's really where he wants us to go. He wants us to go into a state of incorruptibility. Amen. The state that he really originally planned for man. That's why he put him in the garden. Right? That's why he gave him all that authority. Amen. And dominion. Right? And he gave him everything he needed. Everything was perfect. The Bible says everything was perfect. That he wanted man to flourish in every area of his life. See, God wants you to flourish. But he doesn't want you to grow into a weed. Sin will turn your healthy rose and whatever beautiful plant you like, amen, and will turn that into a weed, which is the opposite of what God wants. Amen. So, so we have to let our bodies die, the deeds of our body to die. Amen. You know, my mother, when we would say, well, I had a brother that sometimes he didn't want to go to church. <laughs> Glory to God. And my mother, listen, sometimes she was so tired. You know, five kids, different schools. It was a lot, okay? A lot. And when my brother would come home and say, oh, I'm so tired. I don't want to go to church today. It did, listen, it didn't matter if my mother had a headache. It didn't matter if my whole feet were swollen. It did not matter. Because on the minute that that statement came out of my brother's mouth, my mother would say, get dressed, everybody. We're going to church. I thought you said we weren't going. No, we're going now. Because your brother doesn't want to go. I was like. I said, Sam, you'll keep your mouth shut. Amen. Just couldn't do it. So she would go on purpose. I always wondered about that. Why, do you, why did she do that? She was trying to say, there is no way that that spirit is going to rule in my house. Mm. 
Shanda. Let me tell you something. The problem with a lot of things going on in America is not politics. And it's none of those people raised us. You understand? Nobody, listen, Trump didn't raise me and neither did Hillary. My mother raised me. The problem is that some people are not doing what they're supposed to do in their home. The problem is that in some Christian home, and I can talk about this because I've been a principal. The problem is that in some Christian homes that they're supposed to be teaching the kids, they're not doing it. So then these same kids grow up to be what? Selfish, self-centered, seekers of their own desires, but not of God. They didn't get that way. They didn't come out of our wounds that way. And then the problem is the rest of us have to deal with them. Yours truly dealt with them. Hallelujah. And I was very angry at some of my Christian families. And ashamed, too. I'm like, wait a minute, come on. Like I heard one, well, I got two kids. Two kids? In my house, that's nothing. You got five in my house. You understand? Don't complain to me about your two kids until you have five. And then the one that had five said, don't complain until you have seven. You understand what I'm saying? And listen, I know what some people are thinking. Yeah, but you came up in a different time. No, I didn't. I came up during, a, listen, 60s and 70s. Child of the 60s and 70s. I saw war. I saw presidents killed. I saw Martin Luther King killed. I saw all these. I saw cars being flipped over in the street on my block. I'm not talking about L.A. I'm talking about Brooklyn. I saw riots like you wouldn't believe. You wouldn't believe. One day when we were coming from church, there was a huge riot over the shooting of a young man that was 12 years old. And they were turning cars over and they were taking people out of their cars and beating them. And we're coming from church and my father, and we run into this. There was no way to go. If he backed up, he was going to run them over. And my father said, everybody just stay calm. Of course, you got five kids in the car. We're all like, <laughs> my father had... Because my father was a minister. So he had his clergy son in the car. And I can't remember why he had it, but something had happened that he had to put the clergy sign. And the young man that opened my father's car door, and my father was as cool as a cucumber. Listen, my father had a bad temper. I said to myself, if that boy opens that car door, he's going to be hit in the mouth. My father said, if you don't raise your children, I will. That was my father's belief, okay? And so when the boy opened the door, he, the other one said, no, no, not him. Leave them alone. He's like, why? He said, don't you see what it says there? Clergy. That's a man of God. You better leave him alone. And this boy says, the Bible says, touch not the anointed one. And do my prophet no harm. I was like, huh? Close the door. And we rode off. But if you don't do the job that God has called you to do, if we don't instill in our children, amen, who God is and how God works and how God operates, amen, I didn't get this way by myself. You understand what I'm saying? God had to put parents in my life that could teach and train. And that's, that's, that's advice for you young people who are asking God for husbands and wives. Mm-hmm. My pastor used to say, listen, you ain't ready to get married until you're ready to carry the burden of somebody else plus yours. Listen, he said that when I was 10. 
that thing stuck in my head. I was like, oh my God, I'm not ready to carry anybody, buddy. At 18, I said, no, no, I'm not ready yet. 22, not ready. Listen, even when I met my husband and the Lord brought to my life, I was still saying, oh God, am I ready? I don't know. I don't know. Because all I could hear were the words of my pastor. If you can't carry the burdens of somebody else and yours, you're not ready. But see, we think we're ready. We think we're ready. We think we know it all. Sometimes we know nothing. So when we die to self, when we die to self and we let the flesh die, then our worship, amen, must also come from a holy spiritual area in our hearts. Why? So that it remains acceptable to God. Romans 12, 1, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. He said, I'm asking you, brothers. He's talking about saved people. He's not talking to the unsaved. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is what? Your spiritual worship. We think worshiping in the, in the spirit is, yeah, oh, 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 I, I'm so spiritual. That ain't spiritual worship. Listen, I love it. Listen, I cut a rug today, all right, at PT. I was down there. I was jumping. I was, woo, my hair was going. Hallelujah. I did it. Yes, I did. Hallelujah. Had a good time. But that's not spiritual worship. That's joy. See, and we confuse it. That's joy. That's the expression of joy. Right? When the spirit comes over you, it gives you joy. And you express joy. That's not spiritual worship. The Bible says spiritual worship is when I present my body as a living sacrifice. Oh, glory. Hey, listen. I know this is an old-fashioned idea. But we need to start fasting again. What? What did she just say? I'm telling you, turn your plate down. It is time to fast. The Bible says there's some things do not leave. There are some spirits that won't leave. Listen, there are some things in you that won't die unless you kill it. Through fasting and prayer. We just think it's going to fall off like a bad weave. That's not how. Yes, I went there. Listen, that is not how the things of the flesh fall off. Okay? That is not how they come off. Listen, my brothers that, that, that don't have hair, you are, you are very blessed. Don't have to worry about that. You are blessed. Blessed. All right? Some people think that that's going to fall off like that. That's not how stuff falls off of you. That is not how your spirit grows. I'll lose it in church. No, you ain't going to lose nothing in church. You need to pray and fast. Church is the place where we come together in corporate unity. Where we come together with like-minded believers. To what? To rejoice in our faith together. To continue to learn the word of God like you're doing tonight. To hear what God has to say to us. To instruct us so that we can go and practice what the Lord has taught us. There has to be application of what you learn. Listen, I was a very dedicated teacher. I would have my kids come in. When kids were, I always had, they always gave me the children that could not learn how to read. And I developed a reputation for teaching anybody how to read. 
But the problem when you have a good reputation about teaching anybody how to read is you're going to end up what? Getting all the non-readers. So I got all the non-readers. And I'm talking about kids who are two and three years behind. Okay? And so you develop this reputation. Well, if she can't teach them how to read, nobody can. So the principal would give them to me. Okay, I would take them. Um, I had a teacher once say that, that these were the misfits. This, this is a professional in the teacher's room. These are the misfits, right? This child, I had that child. That child, I think she's retarded. Listen, when you really love the Lord, it doesn't matter where you are. The Lord will allow you to stand up for what is right, no matter where you are. And if you can't stand up for what is right, wherever you are, there's something wrong with the right in you. It ain't right. Somebody write that down for me. One of y'all back there. Put that on Facebook tomorrow. Glory to God. So I, 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 I was trying not to get into a, a verbal exchange of words with her. She was a more mature teacher, and I was still a young teacher. Amen. I had been in the system for four years, but I had honed down. You know, when you're in a place, God just hones down what your style is, right? So while some people were saying, oh, it's going to take you 10 years. Baby, listen, by year three, I, I had that thing down. I had my skill down, and I knew what I was doing. Amen. To, to God be the glory. And so when she said that, I, I, said, I said, you know, I really, I, 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 I really need you not to say that. She was like, I said, I need you not to say that. I can't have you talk about the kids like that. Because you can't pretend to be for them when you're against them. I just, listen, I told you, I don't know how to keep my mouth shut. You cannot pretend to be for them when you're really against them. Because that statement is going to dictate how you treat those kids in the classroom. I don't care what you tell me. That's going to come out in what you do with them. You've already stated that they're failures. You've already given them. You've already said there's no hope for them. These kids are eight years old. How can there be no hope for an eight-year-old? So, so she said, well, if you don't like the conversations we have in the teacher's room, you don't have to come. I said, you know, you're right. I'm not coming back to the teacher's room. I stopped going to the teacher's room. You know why? Because there was nothing there that was feeding my spirit. See, the problem is you have to know when you're not, you're not receiving what you're supposed to receive. You got to be grown up. Listen, I was only in my 20s, but I was grown you got to be grown up to say, this is not feeding my spirit. I'm not staying here. I'm not talking to you anymore. I'm not participating in this conversation anymore because you are a detriment. So I got to walk away from you. So I did. I stopped going to the teacher's room. I didn't go to the teacher's room for a year. Oh, they had, oh, come to the Christmas. I'm not going to your Christmas party. I'm not going. Glory to God. And I had those kids. The same kids they were talking about were my kids for the next year. They weren't even mine yet. And I was already protecting them. Listen, there are things that God will bring into your life that may not even be fully yours yet. You need to start protecting it before it comes in. And so when I got those kids, what I saw 
was that they were already believing what everyone else has said to them. So I had a room full of eight, nine, ten, and I had one young man, 11 years old, no, forget him, 11 years old, who could not read or write yet. It broke my heart, and he was embarrassed by it. And I said, I make you a promise. I, I stood in front of them the first day of school. I said, I make you a promise. Every single one of you will leave this classroom a year ahead, two years ahead, three years ahead. Because listen, I didn't know how I was going to do it. But I said, Lord, you have to back this up. God, you got to back up these words. Because I can't. Look at these little faces. I can't. I can't let these little faces down. So for a whole year, I had no social life. That's hard for someone in their 20s. Hey, because, you know, everybody else was having fun, but not me. Glory to God. So for a year, I did nothing. Didn't date, did nothing except my kids. My kids, my kids. We're going early. I had the parents sign a waiver. I said, I want you to bring your child at 7 o'clock in the morning. They were like, what? Some parents were happy. Well, you know I need to work at 730, so praise the Lord. So I made them sign a waiver because I wasn't supposed to have children 20 minutes before the school bell rang. My school bell rang, didn't ring until 8.15. But I said, bring them in. Amen. So they would bring them in early. Then I didn't let them go have lunch with the other kids. Listen to this. They, I said to them, first of all, I made buttons. I made buttons with all these statements. I am intelligent, I am smart, I can. And I said there was only a few words in my classroom that could not be used. First of all, I didn't want anyone to use the word stupid in my classroom. And you could not use the word I can't. You could only use the word I will try. I will try, not I can't. Okay? So I eliminated, what I had to work on first is to eliminate the language. See? So some of you, the Lord got to eliminate the language. He's got to change your language because you have a defeated language. First thing I had to do is change the language. Because when you change the language and you change what comes out of your mouth, it changes your mindset. Mm. So all of a sudden, something started happening to my children that were listless and had lost the passion for learning. All of a sudden, they started to come alive. And all of a sudden, they were interested. And all of a sudden, they wanted to be... Listen, these children didn't have to be in school that long. But I kept them in that, in that room all day long. They didn't go to lunch. I said, this is what I told my kids. I thought it was pretty smart. I thank the Lord for the wisdom. Amen. I said, you're going to have lunch with me every day. They were like... At first, they were like... Eh. And I said, no. See... Lunch with the teacher is a privilege and an honor. And they all went home, I'm not having any recess anymore because I'm eating with my teacher. We would have what I call working lunches. I said, Mike, this is what grown-ups do. They have working lunches. Really? Yes. They loved it. They ate it up. They would go downstairs, get their lunch, come right back up. I had to make a special deal with the um, custodian, because he didn't want anyone eating in the classroom. I had to make a special deal. I said, listen, this is my situation, Jose. <sighs> <laughs> His name was Jose. I said, listen, this is my situation, Jose. 
these kids are far behind. And he looked at them. He goes, I said, so I need to keep them in. You work with me, I work with you. He goes, I, I said, I promise not to let them throw food on the floor. And if something drops, we'll sweep it at the end of the day. How's that? You don't even have to clean my classroom no more. He goes, oh, yeah? Okay. I'll get you a special garbage can. And he did. He brought me a shiny new garbage. Listen, you really need to get to know the custodian in your school. <laughs> they, have every, they have all the answers. So he brought me a shiny new garbage can, and he allowed me to do that. No one else could do that. I had to deal with him. And, of course, you always get these, you know, little jealous teachers going around telling the principal, well, how come Lydia's kids in the classroom? And so the principal came to talk to me, and I said, listen, I have a special arrangement with the custodians. These children are having working lunches. He goes, what? I said, you know working lunches, like when we have our team meetings. And you say, bring your lunch to the team meeting, and I do. That's what we're doing. He goes, that's very cute, very cute, very cute. Uh, okay, well, you said you have a special arrangement? Yes, Jose. Jose told me it was okay. He goes, okay. If it's okay with Jose, it's okay with me. <laughs> Favor. See, we don't, even, we don't even tap into the favor of the Lord sometimes. The Bible says you have not for you ask not. I would always ask. And I always said, well, why can't we? And if there's no response, well, then let's try it. <laughs> Who's it going to hurt? Amen. So in one year, my class, because listen, the teachers are so cruel. Sometimes. And sometimes it, it's amazing to me how adults can be so cruel to, ch to kids. It really broke my heart. They would call my class the, the retard class. And that spread through the whole school. But you know what's interesting? All of them, all the other teachers on my grade level were struggling with their classrooms and struggling with their kids and keeping, you know, order in the classrooms and classroom management, okay? And my kids were like the best kids in the whole school. And when we would go out, the kids were quiet and aligned and everything. And, you know, the principal would come. Sometimes he would just come and just hang out by the door. Now, listen, when you're a school teacher, you know what that means. They're not supposed to observe you. If they're not going to observe you towards your professional development, which is mandatory once a year for new teachers, they don't have the permission to stand in your classroom for more than 20 minutes. When the 20 minutes hits, they have to leave because then they're contractually breaking your contract. So my principal will come and show up, and then he, I, I see him. I said, you can stay. You can stay, Roy. I don't have anything to hide. And I'm not going to tell the union you've been here for more than 20 minutes. I won't tell if you won't. Because the teachers are so blabbing about what was going on in the classroom that he came to see what was going on. And you know what he said? He said, listen, you just keep doing what you're doing. I don't... These kids have had so many problems, and they are listening. They were writing. Um, they were enjoying learning again. And when he saw that, he said, I don't want to hear another word from anybody in this building. Not another word. They didn't dare say another thing to me. They didn't dare say another derogatory term about my kids. And you know what was funny? When the test came around in April, say when the test came. When the test 
something very powerful happened. My kids, the unwanted kids, outscored the highest score in the, in the class with the highest kids. In other words, the class that was on the top, Amen. For that grade, my children outscored each and every one of those bright kids. So much so that the district called and said, something isn't right here. I said, what is it, stand and deliver? I was, I was stand and deliver guy. They know it. Something ain't right. So they called, the, they called my boss. Something ain't right. This is an anomaly. These kids were terrible last year. Something ain't right. You know what they did to my kids? I said, give them the test again. And when I told my kids, you know, it was demoralizing. Because, you know, I had gotten them so sharp. One of them said, they're trying to say we're cheated. And, oh, she started to get very upset. I said, Sandra, don't cry. I said, because you know what we're going to do? We're going to take that test again. And you're going to get a better score. And when I said that to her, she's like, okay. They gave him the test again. I'm, this is a true story. They gave him the test again. You know what my kids did? They got a higher score. So the superintendent said, we can't keep testing them. They had to leave it alone. That's what God does when you bring him into everything you do. That's what God does when you sacrifice yourself and you're willing to give to him what he's already given to you. And that everything he puts in your hands is for a reason. See, we don't understand. He takes us into different fields. Your job is a field. Your neighborhood is a field. The school where your kids go, it's a field. These are opportunities that God puts in front of you. And what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do? So the death of Christ brought life to us and death to the rituals of the law. See, we are good about rituals, but we're not so good about following the word. We like rituals. And I'm not saying throw out all the rituals. Some rituals are good. Coming to the house of the Lord is a good ritual. Taking communion, that's a good ritual. Getting baptized in water, that's a good ritual. There are rituals that are good for us because they're ordained by the word of God. Amen. But there are other things that we need to let go of. So our dying to ourselves makes it possible for us to be able to bear fruit. Because fruit is the evidence that Christ lives in us. That's the evidence. This fruit, real fruit of repentance, also serves as a testimony to the world. You didn't know that? Paul said that we are, are we not open letters? It's one thing for me to get mail. It's another thing for the mail to come already opened. Or magazines that you know someone broke the seal, but they already read it. Then they put it back in your box. That was happening to me for a while. It was one of the mailmen, mail girls, was reading my magazine. But anyway, I digress. What I'm saying is that Paul says, we are open letters. <laughs> we are open letters, right? Why? Because we are living testaments. Living testaments of him. And so when people read us, what are, they, what are they reading? When people read us, when people study us. See, we don't think people are studying us, but people are studying us. 
The Bible says there's a cloud of witness. Listen, we're being watched even when you, know, you don't know you're being watched. When God took me out of my job, um, I had an assistant principal who I cared about very much. He retired after the first year. He's due for retirement. The only reason he stayed an extra year was because I was coming on board, which I thought was tremendously respectful of him. Um, and I loved him. And so then my second year, I had my new assistant principal. He was a teacher in that school for many years. He had his license. I said, Joe, come on, man. Come into this process. I would rather have someone I know than someone I don't know. So he came into the process and they gave him the job. Amen. But at the end of my four years, I, I, I took, listen, I turned down. I was offered two schools. One was the top school in Cambridge. It's just called the Agassiz. It's called the Baldwin now. I was offered two schools. I was offered the Agassiz and I was offered uh, the Kennedy. And I said to the superintendent, I have a question for you. And she called with the offer. I said, um, what's the difference between both schools? And she said, well, the Agassiz, you know, has a very involved parent group. And ba -ba -ba, you know, they score high, blah, blah, blah. Well, what's the issue with the Kennedy? Well, the Kennedy has some issues. I said, I want the Kennedy. She was like, did you not hear what I just said? She was sh shocked. Why would you? want to take the Kennedy I said because at the Agassiz there's nowhere to go if they're on the top they don't really need me I want I want a community that needs me I want a community that's ready for whole-scale change so in four years my school went from being the worst school in the district no one wanted to go there Parents would come and take their kids out when they found out they were assigned there. Teachers didn't want to work there. But that's what I felt called to that building. And in four years, my school went from being the worst to being the best in the district. All of a sudden, I had a wait list. The teachers were like, we got a wait list? What is going on? We are living in an alternative universe, they said to me. We've never had a wait list. We had a wait list of 250 kids trying to get in. Because let me tell you something. When you walk into a place, you should change it. It shouldn't change you. You have to change the place where you walk in. You have to transform that. You know why? Because if Christ lives in you, Wherever Christ goes, nothing stays the same. Everything has to be transformed. And I know we don't think about that sometimes. Well, that's my public life. No, baby. You don't have a public life. Your Christ life is your Christ life wherever you go. You have to be willing to allow God to use you as an instrument and change wherever you go. You just have to be open to what he's telling you. Allow him to speak wisdom into you. Listen, there were times I closed the door. When I, when I was, it's so funny. You know, you train to be a principal for three years, and then you become a principal, and you're like, I don't know what I'm doing. That was me. And I said, Lord, you're going to have to give me wisdom. This place needs a lot of work. It, teachers don't want to be here. Give me wisdom. You know, reveal to me how to reach them. The teachers were demoralized. The kids were demoralized. Tell me, what do I have to do to bring this place back to you? He said, order. That's the first thing he said to me, order. 
you need to create order in this place. Because where there's disorder, that is the work of Satan. But God brings order. And he puts all things in subjection to him. All things have to become subjected to the Lord. And the Lord is a God of order. Amen. So when he says to us, amen, that our fruit is the evidence of repentance and our testimony to others that we truly are children of God. Galatians 5.22 says, God provides the, the contrast of living in the spirit to the fruit of the flesh. And you can read it for yourself. I'm not going to read that whole passage because it's too much. It's just too much. Amen. So you read it for yourself. Amen. But it's powerful. Read the fruits of the, of the spirit. Yes, but read the fruits of the flesh too. Okay? Don't leave those out. Amen. Romans 7, 4 says to me, Therefore, my brethren, you were also made to die to the Lord through the body of Christ so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that you might bear fruit for God. So when we die, amen, to the flesh, we are enjoined to Christ. We are enjoined to, to him. We are attached to him. He lives in us, but we become part of who he is, and he becomes part of who we are. So God sent his son to die, yes, so that we would be reconciled back to the father, amen, and who we were in enemy with prior to that. For a while, we were enemies of God. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us why we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And it said, but you were in enmity with God. We were enemies of God. So sin makes us enemies of God. But the flesh also causes us to become enemies of God. Amen. And if we read John chapter 17, and John chapter 17 is amazing. It is the prayer. It's called the prayer of Christ. Amen. And we see Christ breaks the prayer up into four categories. And the last category towards the end, amen, of that, of that chapter, verses 15 to 26, is Christ talking about how he has prayed for you. It says, I have prayed for you. And Father, I pray that those that you have given me will never go astray. And that those that are in the world... Listen, those who hadn't even known him yet, that those in the world would come to the knowledge of who you are so that you and I would be one and they would be enjoined to me and that I would be one with them. Because that's what God is looking for. He is looking for us, for us to be able to walk in conjunction with him. We can, it's like the Bible says, can two walk together? Least they agree. That's a rhetorical question in the Bible. Because the answer, we know what it is. No. So what God is saying, you can't walk with me if you're not in agreement with me. Oh, glory. You can't walk with me, amen, if you're not living for me. For what purpose, what reason, what business, if you want to break it down to street language, what business does the light have with darkness? Right? So in order for us to walk with the Lord, we have to be able to be able to present ourselves like a living sacrifice to the Lord. And there are certain things in our lives that just have to go. I'm sorry. They just have to go. There are things that we've been hanging on forever. Well, the Lord will deliver me. No. He already tried to deliver you. He is telling you, you need to put that down now. Put it down. 
So dying to the world, according to 1 Corinthians 15, 31, it says, I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus, our Lord, because I die daily. Paul is saying, listen, I die daily. This is Paul, the man of God. The man of God. So, on the road to Damascus, hallelujah, who got a serious call, amen, knocked off his high horse. Ah, yeah, I love that. Brought him down because you know what? God always has to humble man when man is too proud for him. So he humbled him, and then he got him there. And he says, why are you kicking against me? I'm, I, Lord, I've never. Yes, you have. Yes, you have. What you're doing to my children, you're doing to me. Therefore, you did it to me. And we know the rest of the story. And we see that from that point on, God takes something that Paul had. See, God will keep those things about you that he needs to use when he brings you into his realm. He was passionate, right? Passionate. Fiery. Down with these Christians. Then all of a sudden he gets saved. Down with the devil. So all he did was just turn it around. Praise the Lord. He turned it around. But he used it for good. So when we are dying to the world, we have to take up our cross. So the first thing we have to do, if we're going to die to the world, take up your cross. Said, whoever will come after me, let him, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake, the gospel and the gospel, the same shall save it. But what shall it profit a man that he would gain what? The whole world and lose his soul. So we have to take up our cross. If we're going to die to the world, then we have to be able, if you're dying to the world, you should be different from the world. Listen, come as you are, but you can't stay as you are. Mm. Come as you are. Hallelujah. Right? Come as you are, but you can't stay how you are. Okay? You can't be saved two, three, four years and come on now. You can't stay as you are. You come as you are, but you don't stay as you are. Because there's a thing called transformation. And so when God gets a hold of us, there should be a transformation in our lives. So Romans 12, 1 and 2, it said, Therefore I, owe you, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies, right? As a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good pleasure, pleasing and perfect will. We can't not know. We cannot know the will of God. We cannot know his good pleasure if we are unable to be tested and approved. Oh, glory to God. So we have to be renewed. We have to be different from the world. Lord says in his word, you are of the world, right? You are in the world, but you're not of the world. Don't get sucked in by the world. Everything that gets sucked in by the world, it spits it out and never looks the same again. Hmm. So make the world your enemy. That's my advice. Make the world your enemy. Listen, Jesus ate with publicans and, you know, you know, Pharisees and everything like that, right? And they criticized him for it. 
telling you you can't win somebody for the Lord. No, that's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is make the world your enemy. James 4, 4 says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. It's simple. If we love more the things of the world than the things of God, we just chose who we want. You have to choose a master. You know, I used to listen to Bob Dylan when I was younger. Mm-hmm. You got to serve somebody. Right? It's a simple song, but he was right about that. You're going to have to serve somebody. Sooner or later, you're going to have to make a decision on who you're going to serve. And we cannot love the world. Right? We can't love the world. First John 2, 15 to 17 says, Do not love this world, nor the things of it, because it offers you what it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. Ooh. How many of you knew that verse existed? Okay, don't, don't read. Only one person. Oh, my Lord. Okay. Only one person. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. For the world offers only a craving. See that? Only a craving of physical pleasures, a craving for everything we see, and pride in all achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Wow. That's a faithful promise that we can, we can take that to the bank. We can hang our hat on that. You know what I'm saying? This world promises and doesn't keep its promises. But God promises and he's faithful. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I thank you, O oh God, for your grace and mercy today. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done, O oh Lord, for speaking into our lives, O oh God. For ministering, O oh God, into our lives, O oh God. Not what we wanted to. or Not even what I wanted to bring, O oh God. But I thank you, O oh Lord, that... You allowed me to follow your pattern, oh God, your pattern, your plan, your direction. Father God, so I thank you, oh God, for what you have spoken into your people's lives. And I pray, oh God, that these words, oh God, would not fall on deaf ears. Father God, but rather, oh God, that they would fall, oh God, on good ground. On good ground, oh Lord. And that they would bring forth fruit in its season. Because it is the fruit that is the evidence that the word of God has accomplished what you sent it out to do in the place and the thing that you've sent it out to do it in. So, Father God, I pray, oh, Lord, that we would see the evidence. I pray that Pastor Miles in this congregation would see the evidence, oh, God, of the word of God in the people. Father God, and I just pray, oh, Lord, for greater fruitfulness, oh, God, greater fruitfulness in this place, greater growth, greater individual growth, oh God, that your people would begin to grow, oh God, and mature in the Lord. Father God, that we would be able, oh God, to wean them off the milk, oh God, hallelujah. Father God, and put them on meat and potatoes, hallelujah. Something that's sturdy, oh God, for their spiritual souls. Father God, but first we got to get them out of the milk stage. So Lord, I pray that you help us, oh God, that you help your people, Lord, to grow, and to develop and mature in you, oh God, in wisdom, in understanding, and in knowledge. Your word says, I want for you, for you to be enriched. For you to be enriched in understanding and wisdom and knowledge of the Lord. Hallelujah. And of his ministries, right? And mysteries for his people. Father God, so we pray this in the powerful and holy name of Jesus. Amen.